Hi, I'm Lanny. On this podcast, I'll dive deep into all things home. Steading, cooking, schooling, making, food preservation, and scratch-made everything. Our homes used to be more than just a place to sleep and charge our smartphones. The home was the heart of our families, a place where we could birth our babies, school our children, grow, raise, cook, and preserve our own food, host weddings in the pasture, and funerals in our parlor. Do you want to take back your autonomy and breathe new life into your home? Let's learn together. With intention, we can rely more on ourselves and less on the systems that don't serve us. This is the Greener Postures Podcast. Hey, everybody. Thank you again for listening to the Greener Postures Podcast. I'm glad you're back. I'm your host, Lanny. And today is week two of all things canning for the month of February. And I'm going to talk about canning safety. I think this is the big topic. This is the one that makes people hesitate before they start preserving at home. So I think this might be the most important one we could talk about. The one we could really dive into the deepest so that we can fully understand what the risks are behind canning and why we might want to be cautious. But instead of being cautious and just following the rules and the recipes exactly, how can we be knowledgeable enough and have a full enough understanding that we can, you know, play within those rules and really just uh, feel comfortable canning as we feel comfortable cooking in our own homes. Before we get started on the uh, canning safety, I just wanted to again bring up that the end of the month will be uh, the canning workshop, getting started with home canning, greener postures workshop live online Sunday, February 26th at 3 p.m. Pacific time. If you'd like to sign up or for more information, go to greenerpostures.com workshops. There you can find more info on all the workshops. You can purchase past ones um, where you just watch the replay, but if you you want, want to get into canning and you're listening to this, then sign up for that live workshop because the energy in those are amazing. You're going to be able to talk to a bunch of different people that are all on all, uh, you know, levels of, of knowledge and understanding and, and, and experience, and we can share and ask questions and we can then continue the conversation on the telegram channel access to the, uh, greener postures community is, uh, comes included with the cost of the workshop and that's lifetime uh, membership to the community where you can talk about all the things that you're working on and ask questions when they come up um, from a group of free thinking real people that want to do more for themselves so um Come to the the canning workshop, sign up on the website. I'd love to see you there. And if you're really into this, if you're liking what I'm putting out there and you want to be a member, greenerpostures.com slash membership for more information on membership exclusives. And again, February is canning. So I'm putting out a video and a recipe and some other information about canning that are just for members. So come um, and check out the different tiers of membership and send me an email or a DM if you have any questions. All right, guys, for canning safety. So what we want to talk about today is, um, you know, just an overview of canning safety. And the reason why we know this information is because of the studies that have been done by the USDA. Um, they, they basically um, take different types of foods, different acidities, different densities, 
and they can them in different ways at different heats and for different lengths of time and they test them and they test them for different um, organisms that are unfavorable you know botulism being a primary one that we're going to be talking about um, and they see you know what length of time and at what heat are these things eradicated and as you know, something denser will take longer to heat through. So density is a factor in home canning safety. If your food is dense and you're canning, you need to take that into account and follow specific recipes. So when canning like a chunk of whole roast, for instance, I believe if I remember correctly, that's pressure canning time of 90 minutes. And that is a long amount of time, like it's an hour and a half. Um, so you're pressure canning that for such a long amount of time that it can definitely uh, get the heat will penetrate the, uh, completely through the food. So let's backtrack a little bit and talk about first, what is botulism? So botulisms are rare, but serious foodborne illness caused by the botulism neurotoxin. It is severe or even fatal food poisoning. Symptoms include weakness, trouble seeing, feeling tired, trouble speaking. It's not just your run-of-the-mill food poisoning that causes like an upset stomach for a few hours. This is a serious illness. It can cause permanent neurological problems. Um, what makes it even more tricky is that botulism is odorless and tasteless. So it won't necessarily smell or look like spoiled food. If you do open a jar and you've, that you've canned and it doesn't make that popping sound and you have mold on top, well, then you know it's, it's not good to eat and you definitely want to toss that. But if you don't can something properly, it stays sealed. It might still inhibit the mold, but not have eradicated all of those botulism spores, which could then grow the botulism neurotoxin. And you don't want that. So the neurotoxin comes from the botulism spores. Should I try to say the Latin name? Clostridium botulinum. The, so those spores um, are everywhere in our environment. They're in the soil and they're in the air. They might be on the surfaces, but they're actually harmless to us. Those spores need to be basically activated to create the neurotoxin by allowing those spores to be in the exact correct environment to grow. And uh, what is the correct environment to grow botulism? This for me was the number one most important thing that I could learn to then not be afraid of canning any longer. Once I understood how to grow botulism, then I knew I didn't need to fear botulism because if I knew how to, I would just not do that. <laughs> if I didn't do that, then I wouldn't get botulism. So when I was getting started canning, I was a bit afraid. I'd heard people talk about this, botulism, you're going to die, you're going to kill your family of food poisoning, all of that. To avoid that, understanding how botulism grows was extremely important. So let's talk about that. So the spores need that right environment to grow to create the botulism toxin that will cause illness. Botulism toxin grows at room temperature. So that would be between 40 degrees Fahrenheit and 120 degrees Fahrenheit. That's where it can grow, between 40 and 120. Um, in a damp environment, so there needs to be some moisture, and low acid. So that means a pH of anything over 4.6. Um, so a low acid, damp, room temperature env environment. And the last one is anaerobic. Anaerobic just means without oxygen. So... If we take all these points, there can't be any oxygen, it needs to be low acid, it needs to be damp, and it needs to be room temperature. Well, canned food is like the best place you could grow botulism because you're sealing it so there won't be oxygen. 
um, if you're if you're canning something low acid like uh, meat um, or potatoes, uh, and then you're leaving it to be damp in a jar without oxygen on your shelf, which is room temperature. That's why there's a concern for botulism and home canning. So other times you can get sick from botulism are like getting too much Botox injected into your face because apparently that's a botulism toxin. It's a neurotoxin, so it paralyzes the nerves in their face, and that's why it makes them look like emotionless zombies. So I think but people can use Botox for other things that are useful. I don't know if it actually works, but for like uh, migraines and stuff, um, who knows if that works. But if you get too much of it, you can get sick from that too. Um, there's other ways people can get botulism. Um, I guess infants are more susceptible to it. They can grow a certain kind of botulism in their stomach from ingesting the spores, which is unusual and very different than humans. And it might just be because their, um, their stomachs aren't acidic enough to kill that. So it would be a place where that could grow, which is really interesting too. But for what we're talking about in canning, you can see why botulism is a concern. It's a concern because this toxin can grow at room temperature, damp, low acid, and without oxygen, which is canned food. It's low acid canned food. So when I understood this, my first step after that was that I needed to not can anything that wasn't acidic. So I just focused on learning water bath canning. Two kinds of canning, water bath canning and pressure canning. There's also a steam canner. There's also electric pressure canners. And we're just going to focus on two, water bath canning and pressure canning. Water bath canning is when you submerge the jar completely under boiling water. And for a certain period of time, you boil that in the jar underwater. Um, and then you remove it and let it cool. That's, that's water bath canning. Pressure canning is using a specific pressure canner to can your jars and you don't fill that with water. There's only a few inches of water at the bottom to create steam. And then that gets up to a certain pressure. So you get the jar, uh, canner to a certain PSI and you let that process at that pressure for a certain period of time. And there's differences between these two things. The reason they're different is because water boils at 212 degrees Fahrenheit if you're at sea level, which I'll talk about uh, elevation in a minute. But if you're at sea level, water boils at 212 degrees Fahrenheit. But the pressure canner will process at about 240 to 250 degrees Fahrenheit. And so it's processing your jars at a higher temperature. So that being botulism spores cannot survive high heat, which would be over 220, um, sorry, over 240 degrees Fahrenheit. So that means that the spores will be killed if they are processed at a temperature of 240 degrees. So they can't survive an acid environment, but they can survive a non-acidic environment. So if you're canning foods that are not acidic, you need to use the pressure canner to be safe and make sure that you eradicate any botulism spores. And we already said the spores can't make you sick, but if you then leave those spores in that jar at room temperature, which is damp, which is low acid, which is without oxygen, then it can grow the botulism toxin. So we want to kill all of the spores. And the way to do that is to pressure can it and um, do that for the right amount of time, which you can find... Um, the length of time to pressure can in many recipe books. You can also find it on many websites. Um, and, and really, you can look at the USDA guide or the ball canning blue book. And those will have um, canning times for most of the things that you, you need. 
I will link to a few different books in the uh, description here and um, as well as some other resources that I'm mentioning so that if you want to go and do this research yourself, you definitely can. So I'm going to cover it one more time because it's that important. Botulism toxin grows at room temperature in a damp, low acid, without oxygen environment. Botulism spores will be killed if you cook them at over 240 degrees Fahrenheit. Now, what's interesting here is that botulism toxin, the part that can make you sick, cannot survive boiling at 212 degrees Fahrenheit. So when I realized that little tidbit, that is when I was like, oh my gosh, I'm going to pressure can. Because listen, if you pressure can correctly, which gets that temperature up to 240 Fahrenheit, and you process it for the amount of time that it needs to be so that the the, depending on the density of the food, it's totally heated through at 240 for a long period of time, meaning no spores could survive, then you're fine, right? But what if you're just learning and you're not sure if you're doing it right and it feels kind of scary? Well, there's this like safety net. And the safety net is if cook your food after it's canned before you eat it. Don't eat straight out of the jar. Don't eat your chili cold out of the jar. Um, <laughs> no, most people don't want to do that anyway. But just heat it through, boil it for like 15 minutes before you eat it. Bring it to a good simmer, put the lid on it and, and, and just keep it going. Stir it so it doesn't stick to the bottom of the pot. That would kill any botulism toxin. So for me, that felt good. That was that safety net. Another thing to keep in mind is don't lick the lid or the spoon, wash your hands, wash your, wash your can opener. If you're at all concerned about that, um, being a problem and then cooking it through. And now, I don't think I ever grew botulism toxin, but it did make me feel better to be able to um, know for certain that I wasn't going to hurt anybody just because I was bringing my food to the proper temperature before I served it. So there are other bacteria at play besides botulism, staph, strep, listeria, E. coli, all the things that you hear about people getting food poisoning from. None of those things can survive over a boiling anyway. So those don't really come at play. Botulism is the one that can kind of go to a higher heat and that's those spores being able to survive up to 240 and that's why pressure canning is important. So we don't want some, we don't ever want a reason to have to go to a doctor or the hospital. Uh, so for me being safe in this respect is really, really important. So mold can only grow with oxygen and we know that could spoil food as well, but that's not an issue because Processing the hot jars removes all of the oxygen from the jar and then seals it. So as long as you have a good seal on your jar, then you're not going to get mold in your jar. If you do ever see mold in your jar, it has been compromised and needs to be discarded. I would just throw the whole jar away at that point. I wouldn't risk trying to sanitize and wash it even. Um, mold is only going to grow on the surface of food unless there's a large air pocket somewhere. So keep that in mind as well as it's not going to be hidden somewhere that you can't see. It's going to be pretty apparent either from the sides of the jar. If there was a big, uh, air pocket or on the surface, like a little green carpet, which everybody's seen mold before everybody's had, you know, takeout that's gone bad, whatever. Um, just check that out. But, uh, Look at your jars when you, before you open them, and then when you do open them, they should make this nice popping sound where the air kind of gets sucked back into the jar, and that is how you know that you had a really good seal on that jar. Um, with anything like personal responsibility is everything that I live by. It's extremely important. So I try not to look at um, 
the perceived experts for all the answers. Um, when I th think of trusting the experts, you think that it's a way of avoiding thinking for yourself. Um, and instead you just look toward academic or scientific sources to make decisions. And I believe by doing this that people can lose their born-in instincts for survival and learning. And I don't want to, to, to operate like that. Um, with fermentation, I can take things in with all my senses. And I've learned how to preserve food more intuitively rather than just following someone else's exact recipe. I understand that fermentation causes an acidic environment. And I can smell if it's acidic. And I can tell if it's fermenting by how it sounds and how it feels on my face. So I know I'm not going to grow botulism in my ferments. Uh, however, canning is very different than fermentation. Canning is a scientific process. It's a modern food processing. It is processed food. It is the eradication of all bacteria in that food. It's a previously living food that's made dead and dormant. And so it's sealed without oxygen where no, no more of these spores or bacteria can get in to access it. And then it just sits there waiting for you. Once you open it again, things happen. So after you open canned food, you need to eat it within a certain amount of time or put it in your refrigerator. Even like jam and stuff will eventually get mold on it on your, in your fridge. So when I'm canning and deciding the size jar uh, I'm canning in, I'm thinking about that so that I don't have any food waste. I want the size that I'm going to go through or my family's going to go through in a reasonable amount of time. So like for like stew or chili, I'm going to do a, whatever we can eat in one sitting uh, for a meal. And then for like jam and stuff, I like to use the little... Uh, one cup jars, which are jam jars, you know, eight ounces, so that we can go through them pretty quickly without getting them, you know, letting them go moldy. But um, you can be intuitive with fermentation, but you can't. You can't really be intuitive with canning because there's um, there's no way to sense, you know, what's going on inside that jar once it's completely sealed. And it's not working with nature. It's working against it. It's working to kill all of it and then seal it. So you're using these modern things like canning jars and lids and bands um, to do it. Um, so I rely on the studies that have been done, but I also try to play with, with that a little bit. A lot of people online are like, you can't do a recipe unless it is exactly as the USDI guidelines recipe was. And I don't agree with that. What I take into account is the acidity of the food I'm canning. And if adding ingredients will change the acidity, I know that I have to change my method of canning. So like if I'm going to make tomato sauce and my tomatoes are acidic and I add some lemon juice to keep the acidity up, but then I add a bunch of oil and garlic and basil, add it to a point, it's not gonna be acidic anymore. And then it's gonna to need to be pressure canned. So I'm gonna change my method of canning to accommodate that recipe. It doesn't mean that I have to measure exact basil and, and, and salt and stuff as from someone else's recipe. That would be boring. I like to cook and I want to cook and can my own recipes. And until I had a full understanding of this, that's kind of why I was turned off by pressure canning because I thought I would need to follow someone else's recipes and I didn't want to do that. I didn't want to have a hundred cans of somebody else's tomato sauce on my shelf. I mean, that I could go to the grocery store for that with a lot less effort. I wanted to be able to can my recipe for tomato sauce. Now I am finding that some things that I'm playing with are not as favorable because there are certain spices and herbs that do change their taste and flavor when um, you can them. So I think it's really interesting um, to 
look at like the flavor of fennel I used in my last spaghetti sauce that I canned and it tastes totally different. It's almost like a spearmint taste or something. It's very weird. So I'm going to try to see if I can find, if anybody else has done a lot of canning, has a list of things that kind of get funky with pressure canning because it's such a long, like really high heat. And so it's, it makes sense um, that it would be maybe a little bit uh, different once it comes out of the jar than when it goes in. Yeah, so while I do use canning books and safe canning guidelines, I don't just adhere to rigid rules. Like I will swap out a dry herb for a dry herb. I will increase or de decrease the amount of salt because salt isn't actually preserving the food in this instance. It's just for taste. So that doesn't matter. Um, I also know that I have to have a good understanding how to make myself sick so that I can avoid it. Um, so I can change the flavor in a recipe as long as I'm not changing the pH and I'm not changing the density. So those um, two factors are going to change the length of time that I need to can or the method of canning that I should use. And the way I figured this out is I basically, I try to find a recipe that's somewhat similar to the recipe that I make. And then I see the length of time that they're saying to can it and the measurements of like liquids to solids, like um, how many cans of broth or how many um, cups of water that are needed. Uh, and then to how many, you know, how much dry beans or meat or whatever. And then I'm just make sure I kind of follow that. So it's going to be the same thickness and it's already, you know, needing pressure can. So I don't have to worry about acidity. Um, that's it. And if I'm making changes to something that I'm water bath canning, I just make sure it's not going to change the acidity. For instance, like pickles are so versatile and I don't follow a recipe anymore. I just know that I can make a brine, a brine of vinegar and water half and half. And then that's super acidic, so I can do pretty much anything except puree my uh, pickles. Um, but I have made relish before, and that was really good. And I water bath him that. Anyway, so lots of good stuff. Um, if you're worried about uh, food safety, I think water bath canning is a great place to start because you don't have to worry about botulism. All you have to do is just make sure that you are... Um, getting enough acid in your food and that can that can be tricky there's there is as well as pretty much anything you start to look into with canning some controversy of things like obviously tomatoes are acidic but they say that uh, the guidelines are now saying that tomatoes might need to be pressure canned because you can't guarantee the acidity of the tomatoes and it's based on the time of the season that they're harvested, how ripe they are, what type of tomatoes they are. And it's true, like uh, the, the, the acidity inside a tomato is not the same from when it's green until when it's mushy uh, or when it's on the vine versus been in the grocery store for a few weeks. So to be sure that you're being careful, you can add a, a certain amount. I think it's just a teaspoon per pint of, of lemon juice or vinegar. And that will make your environment acidic enough to water bath can it. Or you can just choose to pressure can it. It depends on what you're going for um, and how convenient it is. One of the things I like about my pressure canner is that you can um, double stack pint jars, which means I can do 18 pints of stuff at a time which is a lot because I can only fit about nine pints in my water bath canner. Um, so sometimes I would choose to do pressure canning uh, if I could just because of that, that I can get a bigger batch done in one, one processing time. Um, now, if you wanted to do jam 
and you wanted to can that in the pressure canner, you're going to get higher heat than you need to. So don't forget, we're not only trying to eradicate all the things that will spoil our food, we're also trying to make good food. So we like don't want to overcook things uh, if we don't have to. So doing a longer time than needed is, is not good either because you'll end up food with food that's a bad texture or bad flavor. So I would say stick to water bath canning for anything high acid and pressure canning anything low acid and really just just take note to the density of the food and follow a recipe similar to what you're doing and um, can it, you know, according to the safe guidelines. Um, there's a lot of other controversy of safety. Uh, for instance, they were telling you for a long time to boil your canning lids before you use them. And now they're saying not to do that because the seals could uh, fail because of the high heat. And I'm like, well, I was never boiling my lids anyway because I knew they were gonna be sanitized when I was processing. So I just make sure they're clean. They don't have dust or anything on there. And then you can just process them and they're going to get sanitized, uh, sterilized when everything else is cooking. Um, there's also a lot of people that talk about sterilizing your jars. And I just want to make really clear, you can't sterilize your jars at home. Sterilization is eradicating all of everything. And the minute you've washed something, then it's going to get stuff on it again because you're in a home environment and it's a living place. So you can't sterilize that unless you're in, you know, some kind of a lab and nobody wants that. So you can sanitize your jars and that would just be boiling them for five or 10 minutes before you use them. Um, I don't sanitize my jars beforehand. I just make sure that they're clean. So if they've been in the basement for a year, then I'm going to run them through the dishwasher or hand wash them first. Make sure that there's no soap residue and that's cleaned really well. And then work with jars that aren't cold. You want to make sure they're kind of warm already because shocking your jars could cause leaking of the liquid out of it, or um, it could cause the jars to crack and nobody wants that. Now, if you canned a lot, you've probably had one of your jars break while you were, if it was in the water bath canner. Um, I've never had one break in a pressure canner. I've only had my water bath canner, you know, break a few times. And I don't know, a handful of times, I probably less than five. Um, that usually happens because there's a flaw in the jar. So for safe canning, I also recommend inspecting your jars before you get started. Making sure there's no really weird seam on them or that they're not already cracked somewhere that you missed or they don't have any chips on the rim of the, the glass at the top. I just kind of run my finger around there and double check that. So I don't sterilize my jars because you can't. I don't sanitize my jars, but I do wash them. I wash um, my lids or make sure that they're clean and free of dust. And then after I'm done canning and my jars have sat and the lids are sealed, I always take the rings off and tr double check that those lids are on really, really well. And then I wipe the whole jar down with like vinegar and water on a rag so that there's no stickiness, there's no food on the outside because I'm gonna put these in my basement and I don't wanna encourage any, any interest from rodents or, or um, insects because I'm gonna try to make these things last for a year. So um, making sure your jars are clean before you put them away is also part of canning safety in my opinion. Um, there is also, again, controversy, I keep saying that, people say that you should not leave the rings or bands on your canning jars when you store them. So there's two schools of thought here. Um, and one of them is that if you leave the bands on and your seal did fail, um, if the temperature changed in the environment they were stored in and the lid was on it, it could actually reseal the jar.
So if it got really hot and then cooled down, it could reseal the jar and then you wouldn't know it had been compromised. Um, I'm not really worried about that. I always unscrew my bands a half turn if I leave them on. And sometimes I take them off. But the reason I like to leave them on is because I have so many canning jars and so many bands that it's actually nice to have them stored with the jar so that I don't have to find another place for them. Um, but there are certain things I take them off uh, and I always unscrew them halfway. But even if I do leave my bands on, I take them off to check the seals and clean the jars first. And then I put them back on when they're dry. So it's up to you. But some people are, have really strong opinions of that. Now, um, if you have, you know, questions or comments about any of the canning safety stuff that I've just talked about, I would love to hear about it. Uh, let me know. Um, I am going to be going over this again at the canning workshop in detail and in different, a different way. And there's, um, a lot of information on the book that I've written, uh, a lot of information in the book that I've written for the canning workshop. So you can, um, you know, read this and listen to it and think about it and read it somewhere else so that you can really understand this and just start to feel comfortable that you can get started in a safe way. There's a lot of information out there. Let's get at it while it's there and let's get out the resources of the canning jars and the lids and the stores while they're there and get started. If you're already growing a garden, it's super satisfying to eat your own produce in the middle of winter. And it's also satisfying to not totally fill your freezer so you can't even get in there. Having shelf stable food that's ready to eat in minutes that you prepared yourself is really satisfying. So why do I can? You know, a lot of people might ask me, you know, why would I can if I prefer like the ancestral ways of preserving food? I'm so into fermentation and other things like that. Why am I canning? And I'm like, well, we live in a modern times. And if my choices are for a quick dinner to go to McDonald's or to go to the grocery store and buy canned soup or to eat something that I grew and made myself and put in a jar, obviously that is better. It's definitely better. And I'm canning stuff that's at peak, fresh in season, organic, grown by me on my soil. And that is better than the alternatives to quick, fast food. Uh, it's also very con you know, comforting to have food that's shelf-stable, um, that's their protein that's shelf-stable. You know, I canned tuna this year for the first time. That was really cool. You know, fresh off the boat in our local harbor, a friend brought this big tuna loin over and we split it. I did 60 one-cup-sized jars of tuna fish, and they're so good. And to have that instead of the metal-canned mystery tuna that looks like cat food from the store... That is a really big deal to me. Um, I can because I like what <laughs> like the way food looks in jars, and uh, fermentation is great. But you you do need a cold cellar, and I don't have a root cellar for fermenting, so it makes sense to preserve some of my vegetables that I grow in jars. And there's some things that are really good in jars, like corn, for instance. Some people don't like canned corn and some people only like it when it's frozen or fresh. Um, I don't really like my frozen corn, but canned corn is good. It like caramelizes the sugars in the corn and it's got this like 
I don't know, like roasted flavor almost. Like it's really, really tasty. And just being able to dump a jar, a jar of uh, corn or green beans into a pot and bring that to a simmer while I'm, you know, cooking a steak and baking some potatoes and then have a meal come together that easy. All I have to do is grab something fermented from the fridge and maybe some, uh, steak sauce and we're, we're good. Uh, so that's why I can, and I find it very, um, very useful and satisfying to do. So I hope you get into it as well. And uh, again, if you want to reach out and talk with me about any of this information that I've shared, please do. Um, next time on Greener Postures podcast, we're still talking about canning, but we're going to be talking about making canning make sense. So why, uh, why would you can if you're not going to cook with what you can? So we're going to talk about making canning make sense um, along with your, uh, you know, schedule and um, when to do that and how to fit it into your kitchen routine, right? And then I think the last episode of the month, I'm going to talk about cooking with canned goods. So those two are really going to go hand in hand and I hope you'll find them useful. And I'm trying to talk fast and keep these around a half an hour, 40 minutes, so everybody can get these in before the canning workshop at the end of the month. And I hope to see you all there. Thanks for listening. I'm Lanny, and this was the Greener Postures podcast. You can follow me on Instagram and Twitter at Greener Postures, and subscribe to my YouTube channel, Preserving Today, by going to youtube.com slash at Greener Postures. Questions, feedback, or would you like to be a guest on the show? Send me a DM, or you can email me at greenerpostures at pm.me. I'd love to hear from you. If you're interested in attending one of my online workshops and joining the exclusive Greener Postures Telegram group chat, go to my website, greenerpostures.com workshops. I hope to see you there.